Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, the Flying V edition, where we talk to incredible people who are creating impact and ripples on the pond. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Now, today, my guest is Sue Rice. All the way from across the pond in Paris, France, Sue is the author of Tiny Thunder, Irresistible Messaging for an Overwhelmed World, known as the female David Ogilvy and the master of what we deemed as word spaghetti. Sue in third grade did a spice board as a school project, and from that moment on, she just knew that she would travel the world to see where those spices came from. She has followed her intuition since, and it has led her down some incredible paths and so many lessons along the way. In a time where people are so distracted and you need them to listen, sometimes you just have to whisper. Words are Sue's magic carpet. Thank you, Sue, for being your authentic self. This alone is your gift and how you better the pond. Ladies and gentlemen, Sue Rice. (laughs) All right, Sue Rice, all the way from sunny Paris, France. (laughs) The author of Tiny Thunder, Irresistible Messages for an Overwhelmed World, and otherwise known as the female David Ogilvy. Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. It is absolutely great to have you from across the pond. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we had talked before and uh, we would have had all sorts of fun. And, uh, and uh, we had to, should we, should we do our, our plug to, uh, to Kevin? Yes, please. Give, give, give Kevin the plug. So um, Kevin Thompson is the one who introduced us and he is like the best connector of human beings, which is kind of a great thing because that's, I think kind of the theme of what my book is about, about, you know, real relationships and about what you do as well. Right. It's all about connections. Absolutely. So Kevin Thompson, there's your plug. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes. <laughs> Give a big shout out. All right. So before we get into the sort of the, the questions a little bit, um, Sue, just kind of give me an overall view and uh, my listeners, an overall idea of what is it that you do? Okay. So um, I think my air, area of specialty is kind of lies at the intersection between writing and communication and strategy. I'm all about, you know, bringing those two things together and trying to uh, present products and ideas and people in a different light uh, and thinking about things a little bit, um, a little bit less. I, I, I'm sort of anti-template, I guess, is the way to describe it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I feel like um, a lot of people really crave that. They're they're interested in stories, and not just brand stories, but they're interested in stories about life that they can 
they can, you know, glean different um, insights from um, either for their business or for their own personal edification. You know, it's interesting you bring that up and it just goes on to a conversation I had last night. Uh... Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers.
think if people sort of smell that the story is self-serving, uh, the storyteller is using that story to self-serve, I think that's when people's question marks come, come up, right? Mm -hmm. But when you share stories, when you think about it, just, you know, sort of off business, not when you're presenting, but when you're like sitting at a dinner table with friends or you're out at a cafe with someone, um, that's what we do. We tell stories. I mean, did you know it's something like 60 to 60, 70% of what we talk about are, are gossip, which are stories about other people, right? And I don't see anyone questioning those, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I think that, but I feel like, I think one of the things that I think we've kind of, what has happened, and this is of course my opinion, I don't have necessarily a lot of scientific data to back this up, but I think what we've done is a lot of what we're doing in the sort of marketing and online world is we're transferring, you know, sort of 20th century marketing formulas into the 21st century, uh, into the social media platforms, et cetera. And what, what is beautiful about the social media platforms, there's a lot of negative things, but the, what is beautiful about it is actually, it has leveled the playing field and it has allowed us to talk to each other as human beings. You know, it's not company to human, it's human to human. And I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. Why not replicate that dinner conversation? That one, which we're, you know, you know, you and I are masters at it, right? Where we're, we're jumping from topic to topic. We're telling little anecdotes. We're, we're inspiring each other from what we've heard. And that's what, I, that's what I mean when I talk about storytelling is sort of joining that collective conversation that can, can sometimes be messy, but where we're sharing things that are going on in the world and then maybe linking it into what we're doing. But starting off with that, because that's how we connect with each other sort of off the business campus. <laughs> mm. uh, and why not replicate that when we're when we're sharing what what it is that we do and how we can help someone in a in a business um, sort of setting. And I mean, a lot of people would say that that's not serious, right? And mm -hmm. uh, but it, but it's it's as serious as a heart attack, right? Because that is how our brains are wired. There's a reason why we all we do all the time is tell stories to each other. There's a there's a that's we're we're hardwired to do right. that. And so I'm going to get into bit into that uh, later on, and we're going to, we're going to dive into what you're doing. Oops, what you're doing to better the pond. So we want to, I want to get in a little bit into your book and 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 okay. you know all that whole piece. We'll we'll jump. We'll get we'll get there. So as I told you earlier, I said I'm going to be a good steward of time today because you and I can easily <laughs> get into trouble. So, <laughs> all right, Sue, here we go. What got you from being a gosling? And I mean, like you're very like when you were hatched, your very earliest beginnings, what got you from being a gosling to leaving the nest when you actually have up and went out on your own to where you are today? Sue Rice, what is your backstory? So um, I grew up in California, which is now the, the part of California, which is now known as Silicon Valley. So About where exactly where exactly were you hatched? Where did this? Where, I where, was where well. I was came? actually hatched in Los Angeles, in Glendale, California. Very, very. Um, uh, and then I, the Gosling family. Um, spent about five years in Montecito, which is now very famous because of Prince 
Harry and his wife. Mm-hmm. And and then and about when I was six years old, we moved up to a town called Atherton, California, which is about 30 miles south of San Francisco. So that's where I grew up. Oh. And I grew up in a very interesting time. Um, I feel like, I think I, <laughs> I always remember there was <laughs> this, I've actually never told this story, but when I was like in third grade, they had, we had this project where we, we made a spice board. Okay. All the different spices of the world. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And I think I always had wanderlust. And I was stared at those spices from wherever they were, Indonesia, whatever. And I'm like, I want to go all those places. I want to, I want to, I want to fly to those places. I want to be in those places. And that, you know, from the get-go, I was all about um basically not seeing the world as much as experiencing it, right? So like, I don't, I know a lot of people like to travel to a place for a week. I like to live in places. <laughs> I mean, the great thing about living here is I feel like I'm traveling every day because I'm like, there's there's experience that I, that surprises me every single day while I'm living in France because mm-hmm. it's not my native home, right? Right. And, but, but there's a depth to it because I've been here so long and I, you know, I've lived in a lot of other countries too, but so I, the, in, from, from, I think my story was always about being very independent and again, experiencing and sort of um, touching the world in as deep of a way as possible. And one of the way, and and so that's part of the story. But the other part of the story was that my thing has always been words. I was always that was my, you know, that's my magic carpet, our mm. words and books and writing. Um, when I was really young, they brought my parents in because I had the, they had, I think might have been the iq the the iq test or something and they're like we've never seen anyone score that high that was my gift that's that was when i was born with my gift was words and that's what i that's what i that's been my platform Mm -hmm. so um what did your parents do so my mother was a housewife Mm-hmm. And my father was a small businessman. So he was an entrepreneur. He did a variety of different things. He owned companies. He did all, invested in real estate. So, so there was also that was sort of, I guess that's the third thread, right? So you had the sort of independent wanderlust, you had the writing. And then the third thread was this entrepreneurial, um, very strong entrepreneurial um, sense from, you know, when I started, so, you know, I came to Paris, <clears throat> I was sent here to run um, BBDO Europe. There were four of us. It was a four person team. And we were in charge of like $3 billion in 25 countries. And um, sort of a long story short, but they ended up moving BBDO Europe from Paris to London because the guy who was running it died actually like suddenly and um i i didn't hesitate for one second when that happened i would i decided i would start my own thing hmm. 
and I'll tell you, that was in the late 90s. And the entrepreneur, you know, everyone's an entrepreneur nowadays, but back then you could hear echoes in that room. There were not a whole lot of people. <laughs> so I, it was very empty. I mean, you know, I wrote a book on a fax machine. I can still remember that, that noise, that noise. I wrote a book for Ericsson that, you know, the Swedish company, and I can still hear that, the noise of that, the paper <laughs> coming through the fax machine. Remember when. <laughs> so yeah but um but you know it was always to me you know again everyone has different choices in life but for me the only way I can really be master of my destiny is to be an entrepreneur uh and I would rather be a master of my destiny with sort of the ups and downs that come with it so if anyone tells you that they don't come with it then they're lying <laughs> 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 but I'd much rather have that because at least I'm I'm in charge of it, of it, of what happens. And, and there's this constant, the, the creative side, to me, being an entrepreneur is like being an artist. It really is. It's about creating. Um, I actually think I sometimes like the creating part better than the arriving part. Mm -hmm. I would. Everyone else talks about the arriving part and the money and all that. I'm much more into, I like the projects. I like the creative. I love the ideas. And I have a thousand ideas that probably will never, ever be brought to fruition. But man, they, they get me up in the morning. That's what I said. You and I can be dangerous. I tell you, I, if I, <laughs> I, I, I might be able to trump your thousands of ideas. That may never hit. Uh, okay, well, we got a competition now. <laughs> <laughs> so I want, to, I want to bring you back a little bit. Um, so did you, so we talked about mom and dad. Did you have any siblings? Yes, a big family. My mother was an only child. And she made up for lost time. We, there were five of us. Ah. And and if you met us, you would, there are five, I mean, it's actually really a credit to my, my parents. Totally, totally different. Like, so different. Like, you would never imagine that we come from the same family. Hmm. And so did everybody went into completely different directions professionally completely. and completely well my my sisters except with the exception of one didn't were housewives they didn't they they kind of followed my mom's um sort of the way the way she had lived by the way there's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. but the, that and they you know they had lots of kids and um one of them became a mormon um, another one, um, she lived in Silicon Valley for ages, and then she now lives in Chico. And then um, my brother, my brother's actually, he moved to Missoula, Montana. He went to Reed, which is the same university that Steve Jobs went to. Mm -hmm. A very um, liberal arts, liberal, I don't know if you know it, it's in Portland, Oregon. And then he moved to Missoula, Montana, and has been there his entire life. And he has a jazz show on NPR. And he apparently everyone in Montana is like in love with him. <laughs> but uh, he's really, you know, so but everyone has their own thing. Everyone's very individual. Um, yeah. So I think it's actually kind of cool that my parents were able to do that. And then I was off doing my thing. 
So now let's 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 go back to you here. So you you know you're growing up there. You are you know you're out in so the L.A. area. So you're in sunny California, and uh, and you're growing up. So you went to school, um, got into high school. What was your first job, Sue? You're gonna love this one. What a great question. My first job. Well, first I sold. Well, actually, it's not really true, but. My first, first job was selling bras at Macy's, but um, my second first job was riding elephants at Marine World Africa, USA. Now there's a good one. I bet you have never had anyone you've interviewed that has done that. There has been, I mean, I had one guy who worked for <laughs> Disney, which is probably the closest, <laughs> but I have no one who's ridden elephants. <laughs> wow. Selling lingerie at Macy's and then riding elephants at Marine World you you know, of course I was going to become a writer, a strategist living in France. That was obvious. Can't, can't, can't you see it all completely unfolding? <laughs> it was like a direct line. <laughs> That's, funny. That's actually pretty funny. So, uh, and well, so... you know, it's funny. I think actually that if I could just say something about that. You know, everyone plans everything out now, right? Mm -hmm. That wasn't how I, I was, I, and I still am to some extent this way. I mean, I'm actually, I'm kind of military about my day and I'm very organized, but I feel like there's, I don't know. I've kind of let my journey of life has been led by my intuition. Mm -hmm. And so there was an openness and a freedom about it. So um, and, and if you do, what's interesting about that, if you lead your life that way, you end up actually going, you end up constantly coming back to your unique magic, whatever it is like, um, so for example, my, my daughter, um, who is a really incredibly talented photographer, but she has this unique brand of magic of organizing which sounds really crazy but she can come into a, like a completely chaotic room and within two hours it's it's brilliant and calm and that's a gift mm -hmm. and she loves doing that right so I feel like when you lead by your intuition you end up going into the area that you are best at and where you are happy happiest at when I'm writing, I am so happy. I can't explain it. I know it, like most people find it like it's like tearing, pulling out teeth. But, <laughs> but for me, it's like this, I get in my zone and I love it. Well, so, being that you yeah. said, though, that you mean words are your magic carpet. Yeah, they are my magic carpet. So they are my magic carpet and they come. I don't know where they come from. It's like, um. I'm not a very religious person, but there's definitely a, a higher force there because they just come out so easily. It's like literally like breathing air, drinking water. It's so easy for me. Can I borrow some of that? Would you send me some? <laughs> we, could, we could talk about that. Okay. We'll talk I can help that. you with that. Because most people, it's a real struggle. Mm -hmm. So that's my gift. I can help people with that, right? Right. Absolutely. And that's just your, and the thing is, as you said, you live by your intuition. So you know what I what I hear from that is you're you're coming from your authentic self. It's, it's... Yeah, but you know sometimes you have to battle for that because it's 
Um, and you have to jealously guard that because like a lot of people, they see the lifestyle I have, they're all like, aren't I lucky and everything. But, but you know, for example, when, when BBDO Europe was shifted, I could have easily left, gone back, but I knew I, this is where I felt fulfilled and where I felt given all those things that we talked about, the entrepreneurship, the wanderlust and the work, this was, this was a good place for me to be. So I, I stayed here. I figured out a way for that to happen. Right. And, um, I think that it's really easy for us to get other people's voices in our head and what people think. I think, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges in life is to listen to your intuition, not what other people say, and yet remain sensitive and compassionate to other human beings. That's a big challenge. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be so sensitive that you care what every word they say, <laughs> but you want to be, you still want to be open to their experience as well. That's that, you know, that's a tough, sometimes a tough thing. I would agree with you. And I think that, you know, that's something that I teach. And, um, but, you know, if you look over time as ki as kids, as we, when we were younger, we trust our intuition so much more because we don't, yes. we don't get in our own way. And as we age and we start listening to others and what other people want, what other people do and what other people say, and that all gets yeah. kind of messy in there. And then we stop, I think over time, we really stop listening to ourselves and we, then we start, then we start questioning and then we start, you know, second guessing. And that's when I think we get yeah, into I trouble. Think so. And um, the other you know, we... people's expectations, other people, you know, I had a, a housekeeper that worked here, lovely woman. And um, at one point she said to me, you're like a child. You have the same child, you know, about the animals, about laughter, about, and I, that was like one of the biggest compliments anyone's ever given me. Mm -hmm. She kind of, I think she kind of thought it was slightly an insult, but I thought it was like such a nice thing because that, you know, keeping in touch with that childlike wonder and the childlike laughter and being surprised about things that come mm -hmm. into your life isn't, that's like a really beautiful thing, I think. I, I would agree. And there's a big difference between childish and childlike. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So... I want to I want to move this into into uh, the time, Sue, that you had to leave the nest. Like you were at home in the nest, everything was comfortable. You were you were you were selling lingerie. You were riding elephants, <laughs> and eventually comes come the time that you're gonna go. Okay, I'm get I, I gotta go. I gotta get on my own. So, I graduated from Stanford University. And when I graduated, I actually got into um, a law school in San Francisco called Hastings, right? And I decided to take, to defer a year before I went to law school. So my first, that first, that year, right after I graduated from Stanford, I, I moved 30 miles up north to San Francisco and worked in a law firm, which basically cured me of ever wanting to go to law school. <laughs> That worked. <laughs> that worked. There, check that one off the list. Um, <laughs> and then the wanderlust just kicked in. I went, I went, I was in San Francisco for a year. And then I went to, um, I spent a couple of years in Washington, D.C. When I decided to do a master's in, this is sort of, you know, it gets bigger and bigger. So I decided to do a master's in 
international affairs, international economics, and I went to I went into a program with Johns Hopkins uh, University for, for my master's, and they and I was specializing in West European economics, and I so I I went I spent three of my semesters in Bologna, Italy. So that was sort of the beginning of the end in terms of me and you know, <laughs> so I had when I was at Stanford, I had spent um almost nine months in England. It it was just, you know, it was sort of like the as the as the years unfolded, I was spending more and more time in Europe. So then I came back and started my after I got my master's, I started my I got my um I came to New York City and started my career in in, at, in advertising. My first job was with Ogilvy & Mather mm -hmm. on Madison Avenue. And um, then I got a job in the international department. Oh, the international was always the thread, right? <laughs> and I got a, I got a job as a strategic in the strategic department, uh, international, the strategic section of the international department of, of uh, BBDO worldwide. And that's when I got, and that's when I got transferred over to, to Paris and the rest sort of is history. And did you, did you fall in love with Paris? I fell in love with Paris. I think, I mean, everyone falls in love. There's a, there's a, I can't explain. There's something about Paris that a lot of people fall in love with. Right. But I think what I fell in love with most is France. And I think that one of the things that people don't appreciate who haven't spent a lot of time here is that the beauty of France and the is its relationship with the countryside, mm. the vineyards, mm. the 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 crops. That it's very much the countryside. Even in, you know you can even see it in in Paris too. But you know France isn't. Paris isn't Fran the only thing in France, I guess is what all I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, when I was there visiting my daughter, we, of course, we went to uh, we went to Paris for a few days. And it was, you know, it was interesting because you see the typical, you see the Eiffel Tower and you see the Louvre and all the typical things you would see in in um, in Paris. Um, but even for myself, when we drove around, I really, I did, honestly, I enjoyed the countryside. I enjoyed being out and the, the rolling hills and of course the vineyards and and there was there's something to it it's just very very homey there was a different vibe out in the in the countryside yeah. than there is in paris it's a, it's a totally different feel um uh, i told I, I a story to... i told a story yesterday on facebook i have to share this story it's so sweet so yesterday i went to the butcher to buy a sunday roast that which is very classic french from because my daughters were here and i walk in and there was this basket of these little beautiful multicolored eggs right mm -hmm. and the and the butcher um but this is a my i was in my burgundy home and and the butcher was so cute he came in and he's like oh well you see this one it was like kind of a dark colored egg he goes this was this was laid by my um my um uh chicken sorry i'm translating in my head but chicken that was as dark as coal and this one over here was would be a beautiful um hen that has a beautiful red colored you know feathers around her neck and he was this is big burly man was telling me these stories and like i thought 
oh my god this is why i love france so much <laughs> <laughs> it was so incredibly sweet and then mm -hmm. he's like oh there was a blue egg here earlier but the woman took it. So next time I come with my eggs, I promise you I'll put the blue egg aside for you. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's sort of, I mean, you can get that. You can find that in, in Paris too, but you have to, you see it more when you're out in the countryside. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I said, I told you I'm going to be a good steward of time. So we're going to keep on moving on here. So Kate hey, Sue Rice, what is the greatest thing positive or negative that has happened to you that's ruffled your feathers and how did you respond to it the greatest thing or the worst thing <laughs> either either one positive or negative so you can you can you can take this one either way what's the biggest impact that's thing that's happened to you that's ruffled your feathers and how did you respond to it um i think probably sort of the one of the most pivotal things that has happened to me um, was the breakdown of my marriage, um, which I know we, you and I've talked about, but I think that there was a, you know, there was a whole lot of learning in that, you know, there was a lot of disappointment, obviously. I think mm -hmm. anytime something like that happens, you know, there's a lot of sadness about it, but also a lot of, I felt much more empowered that I had was able to actually build the boundaries around what had happened. Um, one of my daughters recently said to me, it's like, you're so much, you're so much more interesting now <laughs> because I don't know. I can't explain it. I think the thing that we all are trying to avoid these horrible things happening to us, but what's, and I know this is sort of a little bit people, you know, there are all kinds of quotes about this, but it really is true that those horrible things that you really don't want to have happen bring us a lot. They bring a lot of self-knowledge. They, uh, they make us better people. They really do. If, if you choose for them to make you a better person, um, you know, it's like I had my back against the wall and it's really good once or twice in your life to have your back against the wall because you know that if that ever happens again you'll make it mm -hmm. right it gives you a a spine that you wouldn't you know because there's i think we're all kind of waiting for the thing to drop in life like the bad things to happen but you know what sometimes it's good when they do because they 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 reintroduce yourself to yourself <laughs> I mean, the most important relationship we have is with ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's I agree, and and you're the most important person you know. That's absolutely right. And with sadly, a lot of us are too busy looking about around the other relationships, but your own relationship, and that you know, to do that, sometimes you need to be alone. Mm -hmm. um, like I could never have enough alone time. That would be impossible for me, and I'm never lonely. Mm. Well, you have good company. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes back to what you were Thank saying you. earlier. Is I mean, it's it's a famous it's a famous line, but it's like you know. But it, I really believe it's important to understand. Is you know coming from the place of is life happening for you or or to you, and I yeah. really think that is really a, a real game changer when you come from that 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 perspective, because if you see life as happening for you, even though the big ugly nasty things that happen to your life you can look back and and at the time they're never fun but it's a, that it, but that gave you the most growth 
A lot of people talk about gratitude mm -hmm. and gratitude exercises, but, and uh, you know, I do the, I write in the morning. I do my morning pages every morning. It was it's incredibly helpful, but um, I think it's important to be grateful for the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. When you don't get something, be grateful for it because there, you, there, there, you know, I think, and kind of, again, it's about following your intuition and having that trust and that confidence that the things will, you might not see it in front of you, but things will work out the way that they're supposed to work out. Right. And I think that, um, that's a hard thing to do, but, but being grateful, even when you're disappointed, when something doesn't go your way, or, you know, you might call it a failure or whatever, there's always the another door just about to be opened. Yeah, absolutely. When yeah, when one door closes, another one opens. And and I, I think that's something that you've sort of triggered in my mind. Um, and talking about you know confidence and and talking about intuition is that you know when you when you have your intuition at the time you have no proof. Right. And right. So, but but you do gain it when when you trust it, and then a con and then that 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 thing happens, whatever right it comes it comes to be. Right. It's just never forget that and and right and leverage that again and see if it happens once. Because again, in the moment the, the proof isn't there. The proof's always after. That's right. And I think that I believe that intuition's a muscle, right? Mm -hmm. That you use. And um and I've been helped greatly because I live in a country this isn't my native language, right? I mean I speak French, but it's not by any so for in so there's, I'm always kind of, I have to use my intuition to understand people, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, so there's, it's kind of like you develop a sixth sense. I also have a lot of animals. And I think when you're trying to communicate with something that doesn't talk, <laughs> you develop your intuition. There's a way of, I and I think that um, you know, and and I think it's it's it evolves over time that where you become more and more confident that your intuition is speaking to you clearly, right? Mm. Um, like the radio waves are like slightly messed up, and and I think that um, I and I know for sure for me that the living in a country where people are French speaking has helped me develop that because, and also virtual work. All my all my clients, there are a lot of clients I have that I've never even met in person. Mm -hmm. But you need to develop um, a sensitivity to their energy, what they're what they're not saying. Because mm -hmm. don't forget, that always the most important stuff is never said, right? Or it's said at the end of a conversation. That's <laughs> like my great rule. People always say the most important thing on their mind at the end of the conversation. Just so keep wait for it. Right. <laughs> Wait for the bombshell. Oh, wait. All right. I'll have my pen handy for that one. Okay. So whatever your last question is. Oh boy, I already know what it is. Okay. <laughs> this is gonna be fun. So, so I guess you know, going back to that, that original question, that you know, the obviously the breakdown of your marriage, but you know, obviously trusting your intuition, finding yourself again, um, um gaining confidence, having your back up against the wall. Right. You 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 took all those things and, and leveraged them and then helped move move you forward. That's that's what I heard from that. Well, you know, I grew up in a culture and I'm talking about the Atherton culture, the the sort of 
Um, it was a privileged culture. The role models were most of the women were at home. Mm -hmm. The there was whether it was conscious or unconscious, there was a programming about really to be whole. You had to be there had to be you had to be in a couple or you know or you had to have your father looking after you i can't explain it there was always that and there's nothing wrong with all of those things but i all i think that um the becoming self-empowered as a woman is has a has its particular challenges is all i can say and that when i lost that th that was a really important moment for me uh, to, 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 to become truly empowered in, hmm. in my life and in, in terms of how I express myself in terms of how I deal with people. And, um, I think it really, I, th I think that, you know, I think this is a tricky qu question, right? Because, you know, you don't want to be an Island on your own, but, you also, I think it's super, I, I see it too often and I see it with people and women of all ages. This is not, you know, 40 plus women. I see women, you know, in their teens and their early twenties battling with this. So it's like, again, it's a paradox. I mean, you know, the beauty of life is getting into those paradoxes because you want to be open to, you know, relationships, you know, and, but you also need to be a whole person to enter into them. And that's, that can be a tricky, um, that can be a tricky road sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that as, I mean, part of it too, is as you age and you find that independence and you find that confidence, you know, you're bringing your whole self into the relationship, which, um, which to me creates a, a, a lot of value for the other person because you're, you're absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that, it's a pity that isn't, I feel like that isn't always um, valued, uh, but the, you know, and it's not about being angry and it's not about assertive. It's about just coming whole. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? just, <laughs> and, but, and vice versa for both the man and the woman or the woman and the, whatever the couple is, it doesn't matter, whatever the combination is. I think it's super important that when people are part partners that the both come as whole beings <laughs> the sum of the sum is greater than the, the rather than looking to right rather than looking to fill the holes in themselves through the relationship i guess is oh there you go all right so this is well you kind of led into this a little bit because i know you're talking about couples and teams and things and so one of my questions is like did you know that geese fly 71 percent further and faster when flying in the v formation what do you think is the secret to getting people to fly? I mean, I say team, but you're obviously not on a, on a big team of people. But even in, in your past experience, what do you think the secret is to getting people to fly in a B formation? Whether that's couples, a team? Yeah, couples, team. I mean, you know, I, I do. I have a small team at, with my company. But I think um, first and foremost, you, you know, they need to be flying in the same direction. <laughs> Mm -hmm. The V isn't going to work if like three of the geese are going that way and three are going that. And so to fly in the same direction, they need to know where they're going. They need to have that, you know, you know, and, and it can have slightly, I, and I think that 
I, you know, I honestly think that half the problem in life is a lack of clarity, mm. right? And that when there is that clarity, a, a team will fall, you know, an individual will be going in the right direction and the team that they create will be going in the right direction. Um, as long as everyone's on board with that same goal. And if they're not, they're not, they probably, they probably need to get into another V formation with someone else. Yeah, which is also, uh, which is fine as well, because if they don't fit, you know, if they don't fit into that formation, there, there may be another one that's better for them. And, you know, but again, but you're exactly right is when, when geese fly in that V formation, that when you, when you see them is they can all see where they're going, each one, right? right. There's, there's no blind exactly. faith. They don't follow one another. Right. And so you don't have three or four or five veering off right you you have to know what i call you have to know you know where is our golden pond where where is it we're trying to get to and we exactly. all we have the same vision so fantastic so let's get into this here a little bit sue because i do want to talk a little bit about your book and that kind of thing like that so and i have a feeling that this is where this is going to come in so what are you doing sue rice to better the pond <laughs> what ripples are you creating and how are you inspiring others to do the same? So, you know, you're you, I, I, when from our conversation today, you know, you you really bring your authentic self. You follow your intuition. You you know, you're the master of of word salad. You um, <laughs> you know, you you have your you have your magic carpet. You know, like, spaghetti. <laughs> your, your 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 spice rack. There's nothing ever in a straight line. <laughs> what are you doing to better the pond, Sue? Well, interesting. I think it kind of, because I can make a segue to the formation and people knowing, the geese sure. knowing where they're going, is that um, one of the things that I've seen working with, you know, companies as big as Lego and Nike and as little as solopreneurs is that, um, is that I feel like the digital i feel like sometimes our visions are limited all right so the golden pond is can be bigger is basically what i'm trying to say and i think that a lot of times um success is measured by numbers of sales and all of that which is of course part of it mm -hmm. but i feel like um the pond and the sales can be bigger if we enlarge uh, we 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 widen mm -hmm. our 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 vision and I see that I've seen that particularly in the way people express themselves. So, so <clears throat> I've been, I've done a lot of work. I mean, my agency does a lot of um, email marketing for people, both lead gen and both outreaches and um, lead nurturing, right? Mm -hmm. So lead gen and lead nurturing. And um, so, and I've written probably thousands and thousands and thousands of emails personally. And as I, as I did that, I realized that everything started to sound the same. It was always, you know, buy this, buy that, do this, do that. And so this is when I started experimenting with, I'm like, maybe there's a better way in, of doing this. Now, and I know a lot of people talk about storytelling, but it, in the marketing world, the storytelling tends to be in a very defined, very narrowly as telling your brand story, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with telling your brand story, but it's, a really, it's a short runway. Like there's only so many times you can go to the dinner party and tell your story. 
<laughs> until they start not inviting you anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the same thing is true with sending out emails or, you know, there's only so many times, unless you're like Sarah Blakely and, you know, people want to hear about how she started um, Spanx, but basically, you know, people don't. Um, so I started, I started kind of experimenting with using little, I, they're not even stories. They don't have a beginning, middle and end. They're like little anecdotes, little, little story snacks that would illustrate what a product or a service would do, a value that it represented or a um, challenge that it helps people overcome or a benefit or a process. And um, that is what that was sort of the birth of, and it worked really, really, really well. I mean, it got lots more sales because basically what I was doing is wrapping up an idea, a naked idea of a product into this wonderful, enticing, irresistible um, story snack. So that, um, I mean, just to give an, let me just give you an example. So I think we might've talked about this on an earlier call, but so you can say, um, I have, I have a really great mentorship for you and I can support you, right? That is what 99.9% .9 of your e emails selling mentorship, uh, coaching services would say, or you could tell the story that real, it's a real story that happened sometime last year where there was a guy in his torn jeans and flip-flops popped on a little kind of private, small plane to go from, um, Bermuda to Miami airport. And he was there with one friend. There were like two, three people on the plane and the pilot and they were in the air and he looked up ahead, looked at the pilot and the pilot was slumped over at the wheel. Like that's probably not a good sign. And um, he rushed up, he pushed the pilot aside and he took the, took the wheel of the plane and he called air traffic control. I said, we've got a problem here. I am flying the plane and I've never flown a plane before. Um, sort of story of my life, but um, <laughs> and so they got the a guy that was like a you know teacher of pilots into the air traffic control, and they they talked him in to landing into the Miami airport, and he was coming to land, and he fell off the radar, and everyone in the air traffic control, oh my god, the worst has happened here, and um, it was quiet, it was dark, they thought he's gone 10 seconds 20 seconds 30 seconds 40 seconds okay i'm on the ground what do you want me to do now huh <laughs> so he was zooming along the runway didn't know how to break the bloody plane and um they told him how to you know slow down the plane and he hopped out of the plane with his ripped jeans and flip-flops and and that's a story about mentorship that, you know, you're not going to forget that message about mentorship because that's, you know, we are all, whether it's in our relationships, our business, um, our, our, you know, weight loss journey, whatever it is that we're trying to do, we're all flying a plane and not, we don't know how to do it. Right. Um, and so why not tell a story that illustrates that, you know, so that's, a, you know, there's just, there are so many, I mean, I have a story library, literally of thousands that illustrate, it can be memes. It, it doesn't even have to be words. It can be, um, I saw on LinkedIn the other day, a great picture of a um, someone on a 
little tiny sort of Himalayan road that was really tiny, trying to turn around a um, four wheel drive, a huge truck. And like half the wheels were off the cliff. And it's like, and then, and all it said was, you too can turn around your life. Huh? And that, you know, and that, who would not forget that? Who would ever forget that message? I mean, mm -hmm. that, that, that image is, you know, you know, in my mind and I will never forget that message. So there's just a million different ways. And, you know, what, a, it's a much better way than, you know, trying to sell your widget. Absolutely. So going back. Wrap your widget up into something that's interesting. Right. So going back into your book, Tiny Thunder. Yes. Right. Which is irresistible message for an, for a uh, overwhelmed world. And so obviously we know that it's very noisy out there and it is probably rather overwhelmed. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause you know, telling story and I, and you, when we talked earlier, you said, you know, the, the book is really kind of a, a metaphor about, about teaching metaphor. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what, I mean, tiny thunder is a metaphor about, you know, making little tiny noises that people actually hear because you know people think the the most precious asset out there is money or crypto depending on who you are <laughs> and, and but actually the most precious asset out there there's two of them one is getting people's attention which i think the tiny thunder really helps with that because you're instead of interrupting the the conversation instead of hitting people over the head with a hammer with your with your message you're joining the collective conversation it's kind of like a trojan horse right you're coming in and then you're then but not you're not doing bait and switch you're just saying oh yeah that reminds me of what i could i can do for you right very gently inviting them in um so yeah so i think that attention is a really big thing but the, even bigger than that but you first have to get people's attention. But even bigger than that is the lack of trust. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the statistics about trust, it's really, it's actually quite sobering. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, people, and the problem is it's kind of a cancer. Because if you don't trust people in government, if you don't trust the press, which a lot of people don't anymore because it's kind of a, you know, free for all. Um, it's really easy. And when you start not trusting people you do business with or even friends or it's just it's it kind of seeps into a lot of different things so oh and one of the ways of you know creating trust is talking to people like they're human beings not like they're a number in a funnel which is what a lot of people are doing you know we were talking about funnels like no one I'm not I don't know I don't like to think of me as like the sort of peg in a funnel that's going down no one wants to be talked to like that and that's actually not how we work anyway right we're not linear we're 360 degrees we're not digital we're analog that's yeah. how human beings are wired right yeah absolutely it goes back though i was saying that from our conversation like when we started the conversation today and i said you know it was funny because we were talking to, I was talking to my friend gary maxwell last night and we were talking about the, it was a story enough anymore because the fact is when we went to the conversation we were talking about how how trust how trust was eroding. So that's why some people were becoming cynical and questioning, and because they don't don't they don't trust um, anymore, right? And I and I think that's where you know getting back to basics of just telling telling really good story, right, will actually connect people 
versus trying when you said earlier about being it being self-serving so if that story is self-serving then if i don't if i if we haven't built trust then it goes nowhere but if it's but if it's good story where it's engaging or you're or you're building into the conversation or building into the relationship that's how we gain trust yeah you're gathering around the campfire yeah but a lot of the stories and a lot of the way people teach storytelling it's not about gathering around the campfire it's about a different way of talking about yourself which is the whole problem to begin with right so the point isn't i don't i i think the point is you talk about them and it's not even talking about you but you talk about it's not even talking about them it's talking about their world and where they are at and mm -hmm. they are where um kind of tapping into all of that and so the stories that you choose are going to differ you know, if the guy is a farmer in Idaho versus, I don't know, someone who, you know, I don't know, I can't even think of, but, you know, someone who's a dog breeder in Switzerland, you know, you're, you're going to probably tell different stories to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's interesting is you don't even have to tell stories that are about your industry or your product. You tell stories that are human based that illustrate something and then you make the link with your product. Mm -hmm. Right. If you can save time for someone, you can tell a story of saving time that has it could be related to anyone. I mean, one of my favorite time saving stories is the one about Steve Jobs. He and his wife, it took them eight years to pick a couch. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like and you could say, you know, with us, you don't have to wait eight years. To make up your mind, yeah. But you know, you can just and you can have a bit of humor, just like you would talk to someone when they're sitting around the dinner table with you. That's mm -hmm. exactly what we do as human beings. We tell fun stories about people we know, people we don't know, things that have happened, memes we've saw seen, you know, there's just it's infinite, the you know where the the runway for telling stories that illustrate things about your product is infinite. That's what's so great about it. And it isn't, it doesn't feel like a template. It doesn't feel like, you know, because half the communications out there, you could literally like throw in a, another, any product and it would all sound the same. Mm -hmm. No, I, and I don't, I'm, I'm not sure AI is going to help that by the way. <laughs> so I, I think that then we should, all read Tiny Thunder and learn of new and better ways of, of, of telling story. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh I'm glad you agree. <laughs> all right. Being a good steward of time again here, Sue. What is one lesson that you've learned that you would share with an entrepreneur starting a business today? So, um, to me, being an entrepreneur is, I mean, this is not to scare people, but it's really not for the faint hearted, right? Mm -hmm. So for some people, I know some people who being close to an entrepreneur or supporting an entrepreneur might be a better place for them to be than to actually be an entrepreneur. But if you do decide to go in <laughs> with, you know, and do it, do it, just be prepared for, um, a, an unbelievable um, self-development journey, a fabulous, I mean, there is nothing that will help you understand yourself 
better than being an entrepreneur. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned as being an entrepreneur, Sue? Um, what I've learned about myself or just in general? Uh, how about yourself? We'll make it personal. So, um, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that the power is in the paradox. And what I mean by that is that you, to get people to listen to you, sometimes you need to whisper. To get to get ultimate freedom, you need ultimate discipline, right? And ultimate focus that it's not black and white, but it's the intersection of what seems like contradictory things where the power and the beauty and the creativity lies. And um, I don't really know how to teach people that, but it's, it's actually where you really succeed is when you um, like, so I'm like military here. I'm really disciplined. I'm up here. I'm up really early. And but it's but it doesn't feel it's like in the flow. I can't explain it. It feels like freedom. And I would never have understood that if I hadn't been an entrepreneur. Mm. Right? Is that um and I and I know that a lot of people try to sell, you know, sitting on the beach, but um, <laughs> which is fine. Everyone, you know, but everyone can do what they want to do, but I find that. Um, sometimes the most freedom is by following a certain routine that makes you incredibly feel incredibly fulfilled and figuring out what that is. And for every single person, it's different. Uh, yeah. And I think, and I also think it has taught me such tolerance because every single person comes into this world with a different set of, of gifts. Absolutely. Um, I, I would agree. And part of the journey is, is finding it. The second part of the journey is making a career out of it. And I think people need to understand you don't find it in a nanosecond and no. you don't find it in a, in a horse. You find it by following your intuition about what feels good and what feels right. And like you said, it's sometimes you're kind of hanging out there, you know, buck naked, like, I know this feels right, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> and, but just keep going and you, you will see the why. I mean, I think there was Steve Jobs made a, uh, made a, had a quote about that. Something like, you know, just keep following your gut and you will get to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it might sound a little bit like kind of wishy-washy, but it actually isn't because your intuition will tell you what's right. And if you're feeling bad about a situation, there's a reason. So change it. I always tell people, you know, in, instincts don't lie. Instincts do not lie. What, what is, uh, can I ask you a question? Am I allowed what, How would you make a distinction between instincts and intuition? Are they the same thing? The same thing. Yeah. 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 I just thing. think, you know, it's like, it's when you choose a house or a car or a partner, you either feel that it's right or you don't feel that it's right. And if it's not right, don't, don't do it. Right. There's your proof. If you're hesitating, 
My, as my mother used to say, if you're hesitating, there's a reason. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be ready because this is we're gonna, we're coming to the end here, Sue. This is the last question. Um, you know, <laughs> and we said we're gonna be ready for the bomb. Drum roll. <laughs> so, Sue, if you were standing on the top of a mountain, and the whole world was intently listening to you, what would you say? Hmm. I would say, um, whatever it is that you do with your life, um, don't, how can I say this? Don't cede it to someone else in the end, whatever it is that you want to do, whether you want to be, you know, a billionaire a mother of children, I don't care what it is, make sure that it is that you are the master of your own destiny and that you're not being pulled along with what you're supposed to do or what people expected or sort of how you were programmed and, and some, you know, do whatever you can to be the master of your own destiny, because to me, that's the only way you can be free and freedom is hard to come by in today's world. Absolutely. And so, you know, if I, you know, I'm listening to you today is follow your spice board. <laughs> like I know in third grade, I already knew what I see? was going to do. See? And you did it. You follow. I just saw those spices on that board and I knew, and I still remember that spice board. Is that crazy? It was, huh? so, it was talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> all right so sue i really want to thank you for your your time i want to thank you for sharing your stories as a story you've never told before so this, that's a first on the podcast <laughs> um if anyone wants to find you sue rice where do they go so you can um go to my site which is suerice.com and you can, if you want, you can just email me. I'm like pretty transparent. It's sue at suerice.com. If you want to chat, if you want to um, connect with me on places like LinkedIn or Facebook, I'd be delighted. Uh, if you want my book, you can either go to Amazon. It's on Amazon, all the different Amazons. And it's also, you can find it at um, suerice.com forward slash tiny thunder. So those are all the places that you can reach me. And I love to meet new people. So I'd be delighted. Well, I have a lot of people that I've strangers that I've met because I've read my book and they're like on WhatsApp with me now. <laughs> ah. so, so I know you're not it. supposed to do that. You're supposed to be aloof and everything, but that's not how I am. So we, we can find you on social media. We can find you at suerice.com, correct? Right. And if you want to email you, sue at suerice.com. And yeah. find the book, Tiny Thunder. Tiny Thunder. Read the yeah. book, then talk to Sue. Yeah, okay. absolutely. There's the plug right there. All right, there you <laughs> have it, folks. We had a great time here today with Sue Rice. This is Warren Berry, and I'm flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thank you so much, Sue. My pleasure. <laughs>